listen to Death and All the Rest. I'm Lizzie Salwin. And I'm Zoe Inglefield. and welcome back to part two of our introductory podcast episodes. So I, if you listen to my story and you've stuck around for the second half, I'm grateful to have you here. And today we're going to hear from, from me, from Lizzie. So Lizzie. So my journey began when I was 16, just going into year 13, 2004. One day I went to the toilet and saw a whole heap of blood. It was a bit strange. I knew mum didn't get her period anymore, and it definitely wasn't me. Straight away, I had the sinking feeling that something was wrong with mum. I asked her, and she said, Oh yeah, sometimes I get a bit of blood, nothing to worry about, probably stress. So was it was it when she weed or pooed? Weed. Oh yeah. And it was like clots, like those, you know how that looks, looks like jelly, which means it's a lot of blood. Yeah. Um, I was like, mum, this is not right, go to the doctor. Did she tell you how long it had been happening? Yeah, probably like a year. <gasps> and uh, honestly... That's a long time to ignore it. Yeah, and I thought about it a lot. And possibly if she'd gone sooner, she may still be here. Oh, God. But you, yeah, you can't think like that. But yes, it had been a long time. And it, yeah. Sure enough, she went to the doctor and was diagnosed with invasive bladder cancer. Bladder cancer is really rare in women and generally associated with old men smokers. I wonder why that is. Yeah, I don't know. Like what smoking would have to do with the bladder. I know. Well, mum was a smoker. Yeah. But I don't know if it was caused by that. But, yeah, I remember the doctor saying it's quite rare. And yeah. well, she just turned 50. So young, real young. Pretty young. Now that we're in our 30s, it's only like 15 years from now. Yeah. That, yeah, mm-hmm. crazy. It was a huge operation and she was in hospital for about two weeks. She then had a permanent wee bag with a stoma, which basically is an opening to the abdomen for the wee to come out into the bag. Looks like a little red rosebud. Over the years of 2004 and 2005, mum kept getting sick with head colds, and considering she hardly ever got sick before the cancer, I just knew something wasn't right. So sorry, after she had the operation and the, the stoma and stuff, she then got told she was cancer-free? Yeah, so in the on it was like April, Easter Friday, I think. Um, yeah, she got the news that all the um, they'd got all the cancer, and she didn't e- need any further treatment. So she didn't do chemo or anything. Nah. Oh, crazy! I wonder if it happened today, they would. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah, quite a surprise. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, sorry for interrupting. She started getting head colds. Yeah, she just kept getting sick, and before before the cancer, Mum was like never sick. We yeah. would always joke she'd lived till she's about 90, she got the constitution of a fox. Over that period of time, all my grandparents died. Mum found it hard losing both her parents, and looking back, I think she deep down knew she was facing her own mortality. And Zoe, you're going to think I'm so weird, but the night Grandad died, me and my best friend were on the plane to Europe. I had a really vivid dream about Grandad, and he wanted to take me to Cobinco. Amazing. Yeah, but I said... I didn't want to go there. I wanted KFC. Oh, even better choice. Yeah, so I don't really remember the other part of the dream, but he then said, I've got to go now, and said goodbye, and gave me this big kiss. Sounds kind of creepy, but it felt so real. Yeah, and yeah. And it was just so vivid. It felt more than a dream. Yeah. Right? And I woke up, 
And I was like, fuck, he's my, I think granddad's just died. And she was like, what do you mean? Don't be stupid. I was like, nah, I've just got this feeling. And she was like, I think you're just being paranoid because we forgot to go see him and it was the last thing we were meant to do before we left. And I was like, oh, maybe, but I just deep down knew in my head it was true. When we got to Europe, the first thing I did was ring mum. And again, she said, no, why would you think that? I don't know why they weren't telling me, but I knew it was true. So when you got home from your trip, they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, he did die? Yeah. Uh, in the car ride home, they were like, so what made you think granddad died? And I was like, well, I had a dream. And he said, he was saying He came goodbye. and said goodbye, yeah. And they were like, well, yeah, he did die. And it was actually that same night. Oh, my God, that's so crazy. I have something similar that happened in my mm. childhood, which is not quite the same. But when I was about seven, my family was all gathered at my nana's house. And they sat us all down and they said, you know, next week Nana's going to go in and she's going to have an operation on her stomach. I was seven at the time. I didn't know that she actually had stomach cancer and they were removing some of her stomach. And I said, oh, Nana, are you going to die? And everyone's like horrified looking at me like, no, Zoe, of course Nana's not going to die. Later that week, she had her operation. During the operation, she had a stroke and she fucking died. Oh, my God. And I was probably just being a rude seven-year-old, but sometimes it's like, like looking back, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know why I would have said that. I think sometimes we do tap into a sixth sense. And when yeah. something's going to happen, it's like, yeah, weird, unexplainable. Yeah. And like people are always like, oh, I don't believe in that shit. And that's absolutely fine. Mm. But sometimes it's actually quite comforting. Yeah. To... I'm definitely closed off to it now because I didn't pick up. <laughs> I didn't get the funny feeling with either of my parents. But Yeah, you might though. Mm. Yeah. You never know. It can happen at any time. Yeah. So six months later, in 2006, mum started coughing up blood. I knew this was bad, and again, I got that same gut feeling when I saw the blood in the toilet. The next week, on the first day I started my nursing degree, I came home, mum was sitting in a chair, and dad looked like he'd just seen a ghost. They had just been told mum's cancer had spread to her lungs, and she had three to 12 months to live. Oh my God. Absolute nightmare. That's so scary. It's so hard to hear. Oh. And you remember so clearly hearing yeah, it, like, I remember that day I do, yeah. so well. But after that day, life carried on and everything was normal. Mum was well. She looked fine. They didn't start her on chemo or anything or palliative no. care? Well, no, not, no not they then. didn't. No. I think, and I, I don't know if she actually would have said yes, but yeah. um, I'll go into it a bit more later on. So how old were you when you got told this? So I was 19 at the time and she looked at me and said, but I promise you, I'll be there for you on James's 21st. Wow. So I think she like sort of set a goal. Yeah. So I sort of went with that. I was yeah. like, okay. If that's what you say, I'm going to take your word for it. Exactly. And mm. then after that, life carried on. Everything was normal. And Mom, so she didn't start chemo or anything like that? No, mm. not then. Mum was well. It was so bizarre because it constantly felt like you were just sort of waiting for something bad to happen. Mm. But nothing did. I think this was when I developed a constant feeling of impending doom. It still happens a lot to this day. It's like embedded in me. A couple of weeks later, my uncle dropped dead of a heart attack. He was only 57, and it was the first sudden death I'd experienced. Was that your mum's brother? No, it was my dad's sister's husband. Oh, yeah. Sounds selfish, but it made me just more scared of mum's impending death. But again, throughout that year, mum stayed the same. She looked and felt fine and was working full time. See, my mum, when my mum got the cancer in the lung, she was coughing. Did your mum develop like a, a cough or anything like no, that? No, she literally had no symptoms apart yeah. from the blood. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, maybe she did, mm. but she certainly didn't say anything. Yeah. It was such a mind fuck. And to this day, at least once a week, I will still dream that mum is alive. And I'm always so confused and asking, but aren't you meant to be dead? Yeah, I've had a few dreams about dad, but I haven't had any dreams about mum. And I, I wish I would have one because I fucking miss her. Yeah, well, um, I've heard this before that sometimes it actually takes them like six months to a year to actually sort of go to the other side. Yeah. And... And then reappear in your yeah. dreams. Yeah. Like it's, there's like a process that they have to go through before they can start sort of visiting you. Maybe she's just always pissed drinking whiskey with your dad. Oh, maybe, maybe. But then again, your grandfather obviously like skipped the queue because he came straight to saying goodbye. Well, that's true. But then was it a while before you, maybe he was like visiting you on his way, his way out? Who would know? He Maybe he was doing his rounds. Yeah. Um, in the September of that year, my best friend's dad committed suicide. It was just unbelievably sad me and my friend spent a lot of time with him over the years and now he's just gone forever and it just felt like just such a waste it was a weird time because on one hand mum was dying and desperately wanted to live but then my friend's dad was so desperate to die that's so hard yeah it's such a like different end of the spectrum yeah it created a real rift in our friendship and it was like my friend just did not have room in her head to comprehend she was going to lose mum as well we are still best friends and and since then have a bond like no other. So the rest of that year, and then now 2007, came and went. I, w- I completed my first two years of my nursing degree, and life was normal. But the constant feeling of just waiting for life to turn upside down. It had nearly been two years after mum told she had three months. A lot of my friends were flatting, travelling, and making future plans, like moving overseas after uni. I felt I was in limbo and unable to plan for the future. Mum and I were extremely close, so there was no way I was going to leave her. And on a positive note, some wonderful memories were made during that time. And to be honest, they probably wouldn't have happened yeah. if Mum wasn't dying. There's nothing like kind of being given a time frame to really make you appreciate that the time that you have left. Yeah, and to make the most of it. Yeah. Yeah, so I was quite lucky with Mum, I suppose. But do you feel like you had any quality time with your Mum? I think the second time she got diagnosed when they gave us the time frame, at first we were like, four years, okay, mm-hmm. like, let's just make this the best four years that we possibly can. And we sort of made plans to do stuff. And there was COVID happening, so we couldn't go back to Canada where mum's originally from and where all her family is. And that would have been ideal. Like. That would have been, that's probably what we would have done if we could have, and she had stayed well enough for long enough. But from for my mum, it was... Honestly, it was seven months between hearing you've got four four years left and when she actually died. Yeah. And a lot so of that quite. was spent quite unwell. Like, she, you know, she wasn't really up for much. But her and I had done a lot of things that we'd always wanted to do together before she got sick. That's you know, so good, We'd travelled a lot, yeah. you know. We'd gone to Europe together and gone to Bali and all sorts of stuff. So I do, like, I'm glad that I didn't suddenly, like, have a bad relationship with my mum and be like, oh, now you're dying I've got to spend all this time and like make all these memories. I have so many memories from, from before she got sick. And then when she got sick, it was more just like, we would just do quiet things together. Like we'd watch Outlander or, you know, do a bit of crafting and that sort of stuff. So So that, you know, that is sort of quality time. Totally. It used to bother me if, um, you know, someone would talk badly Badly about their mum or, um, just didn't get on, but you know, that's not their fault. And to be honest, I'd rather have had mum for those 21 years 
Yeah, they're not same. at all. I, I, I'm so grateful that I had. And I kind of wish I'd stopped being an asshole to my mum sooner because <laughs> I, was, I was a nightmare teenager. And, you know, like I've spoke about my mum and dad's relationship. When my dad did move out, my mum was a bit sick of me. So she sent me <laughs> off to boarding school. Oh, that's right. And then I came back from boarding school and I, I kind of got it. I got that. Mum had been under so much pressure for, for so many years because of dad. Because the boarding school I went to was like an outdoor pursuits, hardcore right. boarding school. There was two types of kids that went, like really outdoorsy Duke of Edinburgh kids mm. and like naughty, straighten them out kids. That and was you. I'll tell you what, I was not a Duke of Edinburgh kid. So I came back really appreciative of everything that my mum had done for me and stuff. Life so, changing. Yeah, so from the time I was about 19 onwards her and I became really really close yeah. but before that I was your typical asshole teenager so we it's had so cringy sometimes I looking back on what you did eh? you're like, just like oh, oh god but I'm I'm so pleased that sort of from the ages of 19 to when mum died when I was 33 like we we were super tight yeah it's so good yeah 2008 started with mum having bad headaches and she was hiding them by taking up to 16 neurofins a day and a packet of Panadol Jesus I know I know. That, I mean, I'm surprised that alone didn't do her in. I know. Exactly. She also started to get confused and one day forgot how to get home. I remember one Sunday, she begged me to come to work with her. She worked at a high-end fashion store and would be on her own that day. I was hungover, of course, being 21, and the way she asked me was almost a bit desperate, so I went. She started driving and was heading straight for a lamppost. That's I was, scary. I know. I was screaming, Mum, what the fuck are you doing? And she sort of looked at me like, what's your problem? She didn't even realise. she was. Did about, she like slam on the brakes? No. I was like, pull over immediately. So she pulled up against the curb. Luckily, no one was on the footpath. And she never drove again. But she still couldn't work out what had happened. It was, yeah. it was so scary. Subsequently, one week later, it was discovered she had two tennis ball-sized brain tumours. I don't even understand how that's physically possible that someone could be alive with I know, like, tumors do, that big. Where does the rest of the brain go? Well, I don't know. <laughs> she studied palliative radiation for symptom control and was on steroids because of the swelling. And man, she was nuts. Like funny nuts. She was totally manic, which is actually a common side effect. She would stay up for nights on end, spend lots of money on dad's credit card and rearrange furniture. After she died, dad kept getting strange invoices, like from GE Money. Oh, She'd racked up quite the shopping bill oh. without telling dad. Good on her. Good on her. I know. It was that, that it was actually typical mum, but this was like next level. Yeah, well, I, good for her. You know, if I only had a short time left, I'd want to spend money on stuff and enjoy myself as well. So exactly. And I wish my mum had done that more. I know. She would have been hilarious. I was quite pleased. Out of that, I got some nice diamond earrings and I got a whole lot of new furniture for my room. Perfect. Good one, Mum. So Thanks for that. your mum had brain tumours too, so was she on dexamethasone? She was, but it didn't give her the same manic side effects. Like, she definitely got that puffy look, and yeah. she got quite brittle skin, but, yeah, she wasn't sort of, yeah, sort of a bit nutty like that. And honestly, I kind of wish she had been. My mum was always so sensible her whole fucking life. She was so concerned about, you know, making sure she provided well for my brother and I and you know had a legacy to leave behind but it's like you know what we're fine spend your fucking money oh, exactly. there's no pockets in your shrouds mum like live your life enjoy I, yourself I that's, couldn't 
agree more. I think it's actually their generation, to be honest. Yeah, it's that poverty mindset. And, mm. you know, I think for me, that's the one thing I really wish, this is this is sort of to digress, but not long before mum died, um, she sat and broke her glasses. She sat on her glasses mm. and broke them, right? So her friend took her to... I think OPSM or Specsavers or something to like buy a new pair of glasses and the glasses that she wanted were those special ones that are you know the the glass kind of dims oh, when you go out in yeah. sunlight and yeah. stuff and they were like eight or nine hundred dollars and my mum while being very frugal was also very comfortable yeah. she could truly afford to spend that money and on glasses. Glasses are important. She loves totally. to read. And, yeah. and and at this point, you know, we didn't know exactly how much time she had left. And she dug in her heels and it took a lot of convincing for us to get her to buy herself the pair of glasses she wanted. Because she thought her mindset was, well, why am I going to spend $900 on glasses if I'm only going to live like not even a year? I'd be fucking buying everything. I Exactly. I was like, mom. Did she get them? She did in the end. Good, good. And she actually didn't end up living that much longer but at the same time it's like you know you can afford to buy yourself the glasses that you want make your life whatever time you have left even if you're not sick like make your life comfortable I know but it's just it's just their mindset and you can kind of see you know post-war how maybe they are like yeah so we had our 21st coming up she was totally focused on that it was the best day of my life it was also the best day of her life and she was just so proud she'd kept her promise to be alive for our 21st. That's I, so amazing. I know. I honestly didn't think it would happen, but, you know. She was determined. She was determined. Mm-hmm. All our family and friends came, which was so special. And it was no secret it would likely be the last time people saw her well enough to be out. Yeah, after my 21st, it literally felt like everything changed overnight. The next day her hair fell out. And she had the most beautiful, thick blonde hair that she loved and actually took a lot of pride in. It was the most upset I had seen her. And I actually think it was the first time she realised she was going to die. I'm mm. pretty sure for, you know, the two years she was well, she was convinced she wasn't. She thought the doctors were lying to her. It's like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, well, yeah. Her pain suddenly got worse. Her sleeping patterns changed dramatically and she started to get irritable. Was her pain, like, localised or was it just sort of... Sort of everywhere, to yeah. be honest. Lots of headaches. yeah. See, my mum never got headaches. And I remember every time we'd go to the doctor, they'd always say, do you have a headache? And she'd always be like, no. She would often cry and tell us how much she loved us and that she didn't want to leave us. She would make us promise that she would not be in pain or die alone. It was really heartbreaking because you could see how scared she was. She always said she wasn't scared of death, but I'm just, I'm not so sure about that. I, I think she actually said, she said it just to protect us. I soon realised it would not be long till mum would fully be dependent on us. She loved clothes and makeup and still wanted to go shopping and live a normal life, but there was no way she could go on her own. I then had to help her with toileting and showering. She would only let me do it, which I needed, which meant I just needed to be home. Which is hard when you're 21. Yeah, but it was sort of just a no-brainer. Yeah. Just, that was it. Mm-hmm. I decided to take the last semester off uni so that dad and I could look after mum together. We were also lucky enough to have my auntie, dad's sister, stay with us too. It was such a good team. Pain was a huge issue for mum, and at times she would beg me to kill her. Oh, man. She would say, you guys promised me this wouldn't happen, and get really upset and irrational. And it was hard because the promise had been broken by us. The hospice were like angels and would come every single day to change mum's pain pump. They were also available 24-7 to call on. 
We actually started looking forward to their visits because it would break up our day. It felt like Groundhog Day, which I'm sure you can relate yeah, to. Yeah. Same day, day in, day out. Yeah. And it was literally nothing to look forward to. Yeah. Our lives became a bubble. And it sounds really bad, but it was like looking after a big baby, but with oh, yeah. big emotions. Yeah, yeah. Mum would wake up at around 12pm lunchtime and sometimes be disappointed she was still alive. That was really hard, and as much as I wanted her alive, I could totally understand why she felt that way. She would then go to bed at around 1am. We made sure one of us was, was with her at all times, because she was very sneaky, and we knew it was only a matter of time when she would fall. One night I went to bed before her. I was exhausted. I kept dreaming someone was saying, help me, help me. It turned out it was mum calling for me. She'd fallen on the stairs and couldn't get back up. I still have reoccurring dreams of that night. Oh, wow. So the next day we moved, we moved mum and dad downstairs. But one of the worst days happened when I, when I snuck off to uni. I was still doing one paper to make the next semester a bit easier. I just wanted to be with my nursing friends. Their lives were so exciting and being with them made me feel normal for a bit. They were about to graduate and I knew it would be the last lecture we ever had together. So I got home around 10am thinking mum would be up at lunchtime. But I got home and there was an ambulance. I was so scared, I just vomited. Did you think she had died while you were out? I, I definitely did. Oh, God. And it, and it was weird because I knew she was going to die and had years to prepare for it. But in that moment, I just wasn't ready. Yeah. And I don't think I was ready for my bubble to break because you come so reliant on yeah. those people, sort of emotionally, physically. You almost cling to that routine you as do, well. You do. They're like your security in yeah. a way. Mum had woken up early that morning. Typical, the one morning I wasn't there, and she needed to use the toilet. I wasn't there to help, and she didn't want Dad to take her. My auntie had briefly gone back to Wellington. So, so when Dad wasn't looking, she snuck off and went on her own. Her leg gave way, and she fell headfirst into the bath. Fucking hell. Cracked her head open and became partially paralysed. I felt just unbelievably guilty, mm. because if I was there, it wouldn't have happened. And even though, you know, it wasn't my fault... I still can't really forgive myself. Mum refused to go to the hospital, so we quickly had to find ways to carry her and toilet her. Wow. Did you have a bedside commode thing? No, nothing at that stage. Oh. I know. But it wasn't long until yeah. it was provided for yeah. us. Mum went downhill quickly that following week. She could not feel her legs and started to lose the ability to use her arms. God, that's so scary. I remember when my mum's hand stopped I working. Know. And I came out one night, I'd made her some macaroni and cheese, and I just saw her in the corner, and she just could not, like, she couldn't even use a fork, and oh. she was using her fingers, and she just oh. could not get the it's bloody just, pasta into her mouth. Like, that was so awful. It's just heartbreaking. They're literally just dying in front of your eyes. It, it is like a total, like, Benjamin Buttons. It was like, <laughs> a, you know, like, I'm sorry, it was like a, like a little baby not I being know. able to feed themselves. I anyway, know. sorry. One night, mum went into terminal restlessness. This usually occurs a few days before death. And it's characterised by becoming very agitated, confused, jerky and angry. She thought me and Dad had trapped her and would not let her out of bed. And for the whole night she was yelling and screaming, swaying her arms and continuously trying to get out of bed. She told us she hated us and how useless we were. And it was so hard because I knew it wasn't her, but it was still hard to hear. Hard to hear. But you know, it's the cancer talking, it's I the know. brain tumours talking. And that night... I just, I did not know what to do with myself, so I literally smoked a whole packet of cigarettes. Well, I'm pleased to say you don't smoke now, so... I know. 
the amount I smoked during that time. I mean, it was so stressful. I, I can't, I, you know, I can't imagine like. But one good thing, or I shouldn't say this, one good thing about it all is I was so skinny. Oh, I mean, <laughs> again, I can sympathize with that because when my mum was really, really sick at the final stages of her life, I just didn't ever feel like eating. It's the only time in my life where I've like lost weight without actively trying. Yeah. And it's. It literally drops off. Eh? Yeah. So, yeah. It just, yeah. I also begged my, I rung my auntie at 2am just begging her to come back and she was on the next flight, thank goodness. The next day, Dad and I agreed we just couldn't go on like this. The hospice came to assess her and agreed she needed to go to the hospice. I felt like we'd let her down. They told us she most likely would pass over the weekend and it was time to say goodbyes. But once the doctors changed her meds, she sort of came right and it became quite embarrassing because we had told people, you know, this was it and, but when they came to see her, there she was, sitting up, chipper, smiling away. She totally rallied. She totally did. Mum remained okay for the next three weeks, and in the end, we sort of had to get kicked out. I mean, not kicked kicked out. Kicked out of hospice. Yeah, well, kind of, but we got discharged home. The hospital bed was delivered to us that day. It actually ended up being 40 days and 40 nights. From from that night, she went into the terminal restlessness. Wow. And she was still, was she alert and talking and stuff this whole time? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She would make me go out and get her special lunches every day. Oh, wow. And, yet she still and she had still a, felt like eating and stuff? Oh, she had an appetite. Oh, man. See, my mum's my mom's appetite was one of the first things to go. Oh, that was I hard. That. Yeah, I couldn't get her to eat anything. No. We had to get her that um, those insure drinks with all the... Yeah, um, and the fordicips. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally like watching someone decompose before your eyes. Mm. Family friends would turn up and just burst into tears. It was such a shock to see her. And... Zoe, I remember, even though I'd seen it before, when I came to see Kathy, I just burst into tears. Yeah. I was shocked. It's sort of like that cancer look. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can totally understand because my dad, again, it's that same thing. Like, they sort of have, I don't know, a similar expression on their face, you know. Their mannerisms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They kind of get that, the sunken eyes and yep. stuff. And, and their body composition changes. Yeah. Yeah. The Friday night... Before she died, I was encouraged to go away for the night. I didn't want to go, but in the end, I thought, you know, it's been six months. A break probably would be good. And probably well-deserved, well you know? It's, it's hard on you as the carer. Yeah. Mum wasn't speaking much, but I knew she didn't want me to go. Mm. And on the Saturday morning, I just couldn't handle it. I had a bad feeling, so I decided to drive home. And it had turned out Mum was yelling and screaming again, and the hospice had to come to the house twice in the night to sedate her. Wow. When I got home, she looked at me. I'll always remember it. She had these sort of bright blue eyes, looked at me, then just shut them, never to open them again. Wow. I knew it was her acknowledging I was home and that she felt safe to pass away. The Sunday night, Dad and I both slept in the lounge, and at 4.45 a.m., I suddenly woke. I looked at Mum and thought she had died, so I lit a candle and held her hand. But she then took one last breath, and as promised, she died with Dad and I by her side on the 8th of September, 2008 Mm, it's so beautiful that you got to be there with her and and I know hospice is such a beautiful option and it's you know it's like a big family you said and you know you can take your pets there but it it was amazing that you guys could be at home with her and it was actually such a privilege yeah because it's never going to happen again with that person and we were all there Mm. so I can honestly say there was nothing more we could have done to make mum's like end of her life better yeah and I think having seen it firsthand maybe the parts of the lead up to death can seem a bit scary but when you're actually with someone when they do finally mm. pass 
it to me i i don't think it's a scary oh, thing it, no it can be it's so, so peaceful, peaceful. it's yeah. so quiet and your mum was so graceful when she I died. I know, I know. And I just think you can tell straight away that that it's not them anymore, you know? Like yeah. their, their spirit's gone and they're at, they're at peace. You know, I was so grateful that you were with me when mum died. And when she passed away, it was about six, sort of 6.30 in the evening. And there's this running joke between like all of my friends, my brother and all of his friends, that mum always had a bottle of Lindauer in the pantry. And... You know, she liked to think of herself as like a fancy, sophisticated lady, and it probably would have been a bottle of um, Dom Perignon. Did she not have that poverty mindset? <laughs> but it was always a bottle of Lindau, and we would go out to, um, you know, we'd be at a house party, we'd be having drinks at Mum's house, and we'd run out of booze, and someone would be like, "Oh, there's a bottle of Lindau in the pantry," and she'd hear us. She had hearing like an absolute elephant. Elephant? Are they, are they good at hearing? And she'd scream in her Canadian accent. Don't you touch my Lindau. Oh my God. It's still so vivid in my memory. It's so clear. And so when she came to live with us, um, I cleared out some of her bits from the kitchen and I was like, oh look, here's a bottle of Lindau. I'll bring it. So I brought it out and we had it out. And when we knew that mum, you know, was getting close to dying, we were like, maybe we should go and get her bottle of Lindau and we'll pop the bottle and we'll have like one last drink with mum. And so as we're sitting around listening to mum's favorite music, I was like, oh, let's go get that bottle of Lindau. And like, Lizzie, you were like, no, no, hold on. Something's changed. Mm, and it was, it was yeah, so quick. it was her one final, you know, don't you touch my Lindau. Because, yeah. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> something just shifted. There was a shift of an energy and the dog went funny. The dog Remember? came into the room yeah. and, and sort of was like pushing Set with us. Yeah. She pushing really up close next to us. And mum didn't get the death rattle like dad did, but. She just, something changed and she just took you, a couple more breaths. And you grabbed her hand. Held her hand and that she was just quietly passed. So graceful, Kathy. Yeah, she was. And sorry, mum, we did drink your Lindau yeah. that night. And it was delicious. Delicious. <laughs> um, so, yeah, after this, my auntie and I became very close. I would go down to Wellington quite regularly to stay. And it was kind of like my sanctuary. My auntie was one of the most loyal people I've ever met. And she was so comforting and just always knew what to say. We were very bonded after nursing mum, so we sort of just got each other. And we would talk about mum, gossip, watch trash TV and lots of treats. It was very therapeutic for the both of us. And I just felt so lucky to have someone who loved mum just as much as I did. But in 2013, she got diagnosed with bowel cancer. I couldn't believe it. That's awful. But she got through it and we became even closer. In 2017, I booked an eight-week trip to Africa. It was so exciting. But two days before I left, we got the news that her cancer had metastasized to her liver, lungs and bones. And there was not much time left. I decided I wasn't going to go to Africa, but she was adamant I was to go. Was she going to do treatment at this point? No. Mm. We made a deal that when I got back from Africa, I would move to Wellington to help her. My auntie, she, my cousin, she did have, she does have two daughters, mm. but at that stage they had both young children. And, you know, if I was able to, why not? Why not? Yeah, you, you were a nurse by this point, you know, yeah. so you knew, and you'd done it before. Exactly. Mm. And I didn't want her on her own. The thought no. of her being on her own, I couldn't cope. Three weeks into my trip, my auntie died. I couldn't believe it. Were her daughters with her when she died? Yes, yeah. and my dad. Yeah. It was the worst guilt I ever felt. And I, but I felt totally disconnected from the real world because here I was in Victoria Falls, so far away. Mm. 
My dad and I tried to organise coming home, but logistically it would have taken me nearly four days and around $10,000. And she wouldn't have wanted you to do that? No. But I'm not going to lie, it felt like all my worst nightmares were actually becoming reality. Yeah, I can imagine. And then, because of that, I began to get really paranoid about my dad getting sick and dying. It was actually, now I think about it, quite bizarre Mm behaviour. I would wake up in the night and would go and check if he was still breathing. On my 30th birthday... I thought Dad was acting strange. He didn't come to my birthday drinks, which was extremely unusual. Again, that gut feeling came back. Something was not right. So I decided to stay with him. I went to bed and woke up to him yelling in pain and vomiting. His lips looked bluish and his stomach was big and swollen. Luckily, the ambulance came straight away. And he was in septic shock from an unknown infection. How, did you find out what the infection was? No. God, but that's so scary. Like, and lucky you were there and oh. didn't be like, oh, I'm going to go like to town afterwards and go stay at a friend's house or something. I know. Literally, what I would have come home the next day and found him dead on the floor. Like he wouldn't have called the ambulance himself? No, nah, he was just too far gone. He was Fucking just, hell. yeah, it was. That's so scary. And yeah. And so did they just admit him to hospital and yeah. like fix him up? And Yeah, just lots of antibiotics. He was there for about a week. Wow. And it, it did like, he is 70 now. So that yeah. was when he was 67. And it's like running 20 marathons. It yeah. just, yeah. Took so it out of him real bad. I was extremely lucky. Yeah. So now you've heard our stories. I hope you can understand why we felt compelled to share them. Today's episode was just a brief overview of our experiences. In future episodes, we plan on going into more detail about what it's like caring for the terminally ill what it's really li- and what it's really like when someone dies. The things no one tells you and what it's like to organise a funeral, packing up someone's possessions and then living with grief and while our personal experiences are with dealing with death from an illness we will also discuss sudden unexpected death either natural accidental or those who make the heartbreaking choice to end their journey and any other topics that might pique our interest hey Zoe, just before we finish yes i've got a question okay um so just say Mm -hmm. i came to you and said zoe your mum is coming back for one day tomorrow what would you do? Oh, that's tough. I mean, and she's obviously totally healthy and like her normal yeah, self. Yeah, yeah, nothing. Yep, she's back. Same old Kathy. Yeah. Busy and loud. Yeah, well, we obviously we'd probably like to click our fingers and be back in Canada like with some oh, of her cousins yeah. and like having a big barbecue and catching up with them. But if it's just me and mum, mum and I are all about like relaxing. So yeah. we would probably go to Schwan Day Spa together. Oh. We'd start off by like getting some nice massages, chilling out in the spa. Then we'd come back home and we'd get into our like cozy dressing gowns. Yes. We'd not drink a bottle of Lindau, probably a nice bottle of champagne. <laughs> and we would watch the first season of Outlander together. And then after that, her and I would do like a little bit of crafting because mum's favorite thing in the world was like to go with me to spotlight and to get material. And she's like well known in our family for making sock monkeys. Every baby has a sock monkey. Well, you're going to have to do that now, Zoe. Funny you say that. I actually ordered the special socks all the way from America. I have, I have a couple of pairs to. Well, she was just finishing one, wasn't she? She finished one. And I, because my kids each have a sock monkey. And when we were packing up, I have two kids and I sort of have played with the idea of having a third. And I remember thinking like, oh God, I, you know, if I ever had a third baby, that baby would never have their own I sock monkey. This. And we're at mum's house packing up and I open up 
her like linen drawer and what do you know there was a just a sock monkey completed laying on top and I burst into tears I was like okay well now I can have a third baby but not any bloody time soon I'll tell you that my kids are doing my head in I I know one other thing you do yeah eat nachos we would eat nachos we would eat nachos that was her absolute favorite I would make them for her all the time what would you do if your mum was here for the day well I know that straight away so we honestly for about 10 years sort of every Saturday was our day yeah dad was a rugby coach, so he'd be um, doing that with James. And, He's your brother. Yep. And our favourite place, we'd go to 277. Remember yeah. that? The place mm-hmm. in Newmarket. God, and, she'd love the new one. Oh, my God. She would. So, okay, I'll take her to that one. And we'd like to have lunch at like 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I think we'd usually have sushi. That was when it was sort of – remember when sushi sort of came in fashion? Real trendy, and, yeah. Yeah. And then she would most definitely buy something new. Um and buy something new for me too. Nice. We'd go home. On a GE money. No, no. Credit card. No, no. We'd literally go home and hide it from dad. Oh, no. And she would, she went to the stage of making these beautiful Indian curries from scratch. Oh, wow. So nice. we'd go home and do that. That would be, honestly, my ultimate. Perfect day with mum. So many memories. Yeah. And I just feel so lucky that I got to spend that time with her. Totally. I need to. I am going to apologize now for the amount of times I say "totally." Yeah, but it's true. And that's us for today. Thank you so much for listening to us waffle on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Death and All the Rest, or if you have any questions or queries you'd like to know, or if you'd simply like to share your story, you can send us an email at d a a t r podcast at gmail.com. This podcast was born out of a need to talk about our personal experiences with death. To be clear, we are not mental health professionals. We are simply sharing our stories.